Episode 2, 2001. The mystic chords of memory, stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave, to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land, will yet swell the chorus of the Union, when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. Now, on Inside the Buffalo... Wait! Wait, wait, wait. Can't use that title. How about... This! Alright! Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, for episode two, the year 2001 in Down and Drought, your weekly walk down memory lane with the Buffalo Bills and their mediocrity. And we're joined this week <laughs> with Thad Brown, News 8 Sports Director, and former News 8 Weekend Sports Anchor Dave Yates. Fellas, thanks for joining once again. And we turn the calendar to 2001. We'll just jump right on into it. Right at the start of 2001, January 9th, the Bills hire a GM. It's Tom Donahoe. It seemed like that was the name that had been circling around for the Bills GM job in the weeks leading up to his hiring. The thoughts in the media when Donahoe was hired. Well, I think he was a, the unquestioned guy. He was going to be the one to take over. And, and more so than just being a GM, this was the first time that Ralph kind of gave the keys to somebody else because Ralph had been owner and president. So he was still had day-to-day -day responsibilities, you know, did all the, the voting at league meetings, that kind of stuff. Now he was kind of taking, saying, Tom Donahoe, I want you to do more. Kind of take the team off my hands a little bit. I'm just going to sign the checks and wave everybody papally up in the, the owner's <laughs> box. And, and you kind of be in charge on top of just being the GM too. Today is a, is a sunny day for Buffalo and the Bills. It's sunny because, uh, number one, of the weather. It's a beautiful day in Buffalo. And it's sunny because I have the opportunity and privilege of, of introducing a gentleman to you who is going to assume the reins of the franchise uh, for the indefinite future. Thank you very much. Um, I, I first of all just want to take the opportunity to uh, thank Mr. Wilson for giving me this shot with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, one of the things that impressed me right from our first conversation was uh, how dedicated Mr. Wilson was to winning. He was a no-brainer. He should have been. Yeah. He should have been the answer the Bills were looking for. I mean, everything, everything he'd done after that point, he looked like the perfect fit for that team. And especially, you, you talked about the, the change in power. After that press conference that Ralph gave uh, after firing John Butler, was that kind of seen as like, okay, this is the perfect time to do this because, you know, Ralph's 82 years old at this point. Uh, you know, maybe we should put the, hand, the keys in the hands of someone maybe a bit more able, a bit more focused on the NFL. Was that the thought at the time? Looking back on it. For you know, sure. Maybe not, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not so much. At the time, I think we all, and after that press conference where Ralph is reading his own press release, I think we kind of felt like there needed to be someone who kind of knew what they were doing to handle that role of being the team's spokesman, the man who's in charge. And it, it wasn't, you know, we look at it now and kind of laugh about it a little bit. Yeah. But, and we did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we laughed then too. But it, it's hard to put a finger on it. You could tell that Ralph had passed his time, that yeah. there needed to be someone else. And, you know, Tom Donahoe, he was the answer to every question. He was a personnel yep. guy. Yep. He was ready to be GM. He was ready to be in charge. The Bills needed someone like that. There was just no question. All right, this was the guy that's going to figure things out. And again, remember, this is 2001. 
figuring things out is like a three-year, you know, yeah. two or three years out of the playoffs. Exactly. So I mean, one year, actually, we yeah. look back now, obviously, in 17 years, you think back like, oh, man, at what point did the drought start? In 2001, there's no oh, – the word the drought. drought never – comes into the equation at all. 2000 was a bump in the road. And right. It was 8-8, eight and eight too. You didn't yeah, think of it that way. Exactly. Yeah. It was just a matter of time until things got turned around and everything fell into place again. This was going to be the next guy. It was, you know, Polian and then Butler and then Donahoe. That's what it's going to yeah. be. Well, Tom Donahoe makes his first big decision as Bill's general manager. A couple weeks later, February 1st, he hires Greg Williams to be the head coach. A bit of a surprise, especially considering in the lead-up to that announcement, the Bills had interviewed Marvin Lewis and John Fox, the two defensive coordinators uh, in Super Bowl 35 that year. The thoughts about Greg Williams being the guy. Well, John Kutchko and I were in Tampa for that Super Bowl, and one of the reasons we went was because those two guys, Marvin Lewis and, and John, John Fox. Fox, were going to be there. They were coordinators for the Ravens and the Giants, respectively. So we were like, we got a huge coup here. We're talking, we're sitting yeah. here interviewing. One of these guys is going to be the next head coach of the Bills. And then like the middle, phone call. Yeah, middle of the week. You know, so these guys are down there. And I'm, I'm anchoring like I do a 10-day-in-a-row anchor stint, which I wasn't very happy about at the time, but whatever. <laughs> and we went to Disney World. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Hey, Dad, look at this. Yeah, That's where I, I'm I was, going. I was a low man. I, I got it. I was a low man in the totem pole. Um, and I think it was some point, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, I read a, a release or some sort of news item. It, it'd be a tweet today. Someone basically posted, the Bills are talking to Marvin Lewis, John Fox, okay, whatever, and Greg Williams. And I, call, I called John and said, John, do you know who Greg Williams is? Greg Williams? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. We were all looking around like, who is this? No, even Greg at the time, with three Gs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the time, no one really took it seriously because like Dave said, it was going to be choice A or choice B. The idea of a choice C didn't yeah. even exist. Yeah. This was the best candidate that I ever interviewed. I won't talk about the throwback if you won't talk about the comeback. <laughs> I do have one, uh, one question. What, wasn't it a forward pass, Greg? <laughs> As of today, my thinking was it was a forward pass. <laughs> you know, looking back, it's easy to say it, but I think that's where everything really unraveled. That initial coach hiring yeah. at that point was the Bills had a chance to to make a statement that we're serious about getting back, and it was kind of like let's take a shot on somebody and see if we can catch you know. But at that time, wouldn't Marvin Lewis and John Fox wouldn't that also be taking a chance? No, they had they, never been head coaches at that time. They, they were, but the they, were, they, were yeah. up, they were they were they were they were at a different level. And I mean, Greg Williams was just kind of like, oh yeah, then he's he's like, here. You think about this past year, how Kyle mm -hmm. Shanahan was, you know, the top of the list, yeah. but no one really thought of him as a star. This was Chip Kelly from a couple years ago. Yep, These yep. two guys were the guys to hire for a head coach, and the idea was Buffalo was going to get one. And, and looking back, I think that might have been the beginning of where you know, whereas Ralph probably spent money on players, mm -hmm. he didn't seem to do it on coaches yeah. and scouts and I think else. that was that, and it, it, it ran its course for a few tires after that, too. Yeah, like they it, just, it, after, everyone after that was kind of chasing yeah. and not yeah. paying. Yeah. Well, and that leads into the discussion about Ralph Wilson and just kind of how he controlled the purse strings. Because immediately after that, a couple weeks later, on March 15th, he gives an interview where, or he doesn't give an interview, but he issues a letter to Wade Phillips, the recently deposed head coach, informing him that he wouldn't pay him the $750,000 remaining on his contract. And this went to litigation. It took, it took months. It took until October before it was resolved. At, at what point did that mindset or did that idea start creeping in that, oh, maybe Ralph Wilson doesn't, he maybe spends on players, but not necessarily on coaches and staff? I don't think we ever really thought of it that way. Yep. I mean, with that first hire, I think you kind of saw it as, 
you know, at that in that year, it was kind of like, well, hopefully, you know, th maybe this is the guy. You don't know. Yeah. But then after the next few, you're kind of like, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. This is a trend. At that point, the Bills still had the glow of all those playoff yeah. runs and Super Bowls. You didn't question it. If that had happened, say in 2011 instead of 2001, where Ralph was going after a former coach for 750 grand, people would have crucified him yeah. for it yeah. because it would have been, oh, you're cheap, you're cheap, you're cheap. At that point, there wasn't any discussion of that. But, you know, 10 years later, and maybe this was, like I said, the beginning of that road. February 27th, a couple of weeks before that uh, letter from Ralph to Wade Phillips, Thurman Thomas retires. He signs a one-day contract and retires as a member of the Buffalo Bills. And everybody shows up for that press conference. And, you know, you talk about the, those great days of the 90s, and this is just one more step where we're further removed from that. The press conference where Thurman retires, who was there? What did you guys think then as as Thurman Thomas officially steps away from the game. I think I was back here for that. I don't think yeah. I, I don't think I, I was trying to remember, remember who went to that. I don't think I, I went to being there either. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one of us had to have been. We had video yeah. of it. It, it did there. exist. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, like you, like you said, it was the continuing of an era. It was, you know, and, and for me, not having covered the team at that point for more than a few months. You had one season. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I went to high school in, in Rochester during the Super Bowl season, so I, I knew of it. It was, you know, in my face, literally, um, <laughs> more of those years, you know, because I wasn't a Bills fan then. So, you know, you, you remembered it, you understood it. And to have all those, you know, faces in the same room. And, you know, not only the greats, Jim Kelly, you know, Bruce Smith, Andre Reid, but Wade Phillips was there. Yep. You know, Bill Polian was yeah. there. These People who guys, are not Ralph's guys. Persona non grata at yeah. the time, yeah. too. You know, like yeah. recently, yeah. like, issues. And it just was another example of how this group came together in, in a unique way. And I always think now, you know, looking at how many of these guys still live in Buffalo and get together, and there's mm -hmm. a recent dinner with Sean McDermott with most of these guys. I think losing those four Super Bowls brought that group closer together, more so than winning one or two or three of them would have. I always considered him my adopted son, and he always called me dad for 12 years. It was a running uh, repertoire between Thurm and myself. I'd see him on the practice field. He'd say, uh, hi, Dad, and I'd say, um, hi, son. Number 34, Thurman Thomas. <laughs> even, even if he's leaving, he's still my adopted son. Which is really funny when you think about it. They were known as the Bickering Bills. When yeah, they right really caught fire, yeah. Right when they caught fire. And yeah. it's like all of a sudden they were like probably one of the, the tightest groups you could ever imagine. The toughness of Jim Kelly, the spartanness of Ken Hall. Um, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith, Steve Tasker. This is tough. The very next day, February 28th, the Bills release Doug Flutie. Uh, he would later end up with the San Diego Chargers along with John Butler and Marcellus Wiley. Was there a discussion in the media and amongst you guys or people you would talk to that perhaps there had been some sort of, maybe not necessarily collusion or something like that, but an agreement from Butler and his guys, hey, I'm going to take this job in San Diego and you guys come with me. I think Butler was the driving force behind signing you know, Wiley and Flutie. 
and you know Eric Moulds was involved in there was a, an issue then do you pay Eric Moulds or do you pay Marcellus Wiley because the Bills had were on the tail end of a successful run they had tried to spend up to the cap to keep you know guys in town and they were at a spot now where they had to pay the piper when it comes to the salary cap so was it Moulds or was it Wiley which quarterback do you keep and I think Butler knew what the situation was. Now, as a rival GM, he's going to prey upon a situation yeah. he knows, you know, yeah. inside the and inside. out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And yeah. He, and, and I think he probably said, you know, maybe knowing the tea leaves about which guy they would keep, look, you know, if you need something, come talk to us. And I think, he, you know, like he said, knowing how the inner workings, he's like, I know what to offer these guys. I know what they're going to want. Yeah. I yep. know it's going to be it's going to be an easy negotiation. It's not like we have to butt heads with them at all. Interesting. I wonder what would have happened if they had chosen Flutie to stay in Buffalo. Yeah. Would, I think John he signed Butler Rob Johnson. Think yeah. so? I'd have to look back and see what the San Diego quarterback situation was then. But oh, it was um, bad. I mean, they're coming yeah. off a year yeah. where they had John Harbaugh, they had uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, and a, a bunch of interchangeable parts. The Chargers were really bad yeah. in 2000. I mean, Rob Johnson had been one year removed from a really winning a playoff mm-hmm. game and having it stolen yeah. from him on that on home run throwback. So, you know, I think there was enough Rob Johnson love at that point that he probably yeah. would have gone to San Now, maybe he doesn't win the starting job, but he goes there. Well, then you got a SoCal guy, too. You got him going back to you SoCal maybe, all of a sudden. Maybe, <laughs> it's worked, maybe it's a fit for him. Would it, exactly. Would it have worked out for him? Yeah. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the only time your brain will explode in this, in this podcast, podcast yeah, in know. this very episode. And by the way, the 2000 Chargers went 1-15. and 15. Yeah, So, yeah, they were, they were very bad. Uh, we, we talked about Ralph Wilson and... You know, it's seemingly uh, the first real criticisms leveled at him since those Super Bowl days. Well, in April, right after all these this, this exodus to San Diego, Ralph Wilson, in an interview with the Buffalo News, says that he would rather beat the Chargers this year than win the Super Bowl. And he also reveals that he was the one that benched Flutie for Johnson in that playoff game, the Music City Miracle. I imagine that one-two punch at the same time must have just been a field day for the media and just uh, one of those moments you go, Oh my God, what is happening? Well, I think the whole Flutie Johnson thing from, from the Tennessee game, that was pretty much common knowledge before he came out. Yeah. And we, everybody knew the story of going to dinner the night before the game and him telling Wade, who you're starting, this is yeah. who you're starting a quarterback. Yeah. And that was bottom line right there. And I think the San Diego thing is a similar, a similar vein in that he had had a falling out with John Butler, very public. Neither guy really was happy about it. You know, Doug Flutie, Rob Johnson was its own thing, <laughs> just yeah. as nasty yeah. and, you know, just as no- notorious. So the idea that Bills Chargers that year was going to be a monster game for both teams, no, no one really like batted an eyelash to that. Of course it was. You know, yeah, that right. it was, you know, no one really realized the the, the uh, disaster that was going to come in the 2001 yeah. season. But you know, when you're talking about April, oh, I mean, of course Buffalo San Diego is going to be a mile. We can't wait for that yeah. game. And they're coming off a one in 15 season. Yeah, we'll yeah. smack them yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, easy, yeah, yeah. You know. All right, so the first NFL draft under Tom Donahoe really could not have gone much better. The Bills draft, Nate Clemens, Aaron Schobel, and uh, Travis Henry. I would imagine the immediate grades after that were probably very high, and obviously in hindsight, they look fantastic. I don't think so. I don't think anyone really? made, I don't no. think Aaron Schobel was much no. of a guy then, and Travis Henry was, you know, your run-of-the-mill deep-round running back. I know he's a third-round pick, but, you know, okay, they got a running back. Big deal. No yeah. one thought Travis Henry was going to no, do much of anything. Kind of, he seemed kind of undersized. Yeah, I mean, but the was, running game had been a problem. Wouldn't that have – I mean, obviously now in hindsight that looks like a great pick, but well, yeah. they addressing, needed help. Addressing the right spot for sure, but yeah. not with a guy that anyone was raving about. Yeah. I don't – yeah, I don't remember – uh, Nate Clements was a good pick. No one really from out of Ohio yeah. State, right? Yeah. And they were, I mean, eight and eight season. They probably would have picked like what, sixteenth or eighteenth. Oh, hold on. <laughs> we, we have the technology. Yeah. Talks amongst yourselves. <laughs> well, I do but, this. Yeah, that, there wasn't. There wasn't pick twenty one. Pick okay, twenty one. Yeah. So, yeah. 
for getting Nate Clements at that spot. I think Antoine Winfield had just gone to Minnesota. Is that I about right? So. Or did they play together that year? They played they they did. together. They were together that year. And they yeah. Okay. yeah. So regardless, you know, it, no one quibbled with, with Clements. But after that, it was kind of whatever. Aaron Schobel was not thought of as a, a game breaker as a second round pick. Transitioning now into training camp, the big news from camp, the Bills release Henry Jones, one of the last mainstays from the Super Bowl era. I, every year we see big names, veteran names get released, but that I, I know this, this is your second training camp. Mm -hmm. How startling was it to see uh, a major piece of the Bills Super Bowl era released during camp? It was a surprise. You know, you thought Henry Jones was going to be on the team. You looked at the safeties and oh, this guy's going to make it, this guy's going to make it. Henry Jones was going to be one of those guys. But I think it was also the first of what became a new reality for the NFL, where at that point in training camp, if you got an older guy that maybe still has a little gas left in the tank but isn't in the long-term plans and doesn't have a cap number you like, mm -hmm. you let him go. You know, I compare it to Fred Jackson a couple years ago. It's the same. Now, Fred Jackson had a much bigger connection to the community, but in terms of level and quality of player, two years ago, you assumed Fred Jackson yeah. was going to be on the team. You assumed in 01, Henry Jones was going to be on the team. Yeah, definitely. It was... It was it was a shock to see a guy like that go. So we turn now to the season after all of that offseason stuff. Week one, the Bills lose to New Orleans. The big news from that one is Sam Cowart re-injures his Achilles and is done for the season. But in week two, uh, of course, comes now uh, two weeks after week one because 9-11 happens yeah. in between. What? I can't imagine how hard it must have been trying to focus on doing a job when this other thing is happening. And perhaps, I mean, you guys can speak to this better than I can, but... What was it like immediately following 9-11? And obviously your mind's not on covering football because why should it be? It shouldn't be. Uh, and, you know, you have this team now in front of you. You're trying to do a job that is so removed from such a national tragedy. We still had media day that week. The next day. The next day the we next had day media was, day yeah. up in Buffalo, and it was, there was no football talk whatsoever. It was, obviously, it was yeah. nobody wanted to discuss the that. The only thing and, we talked about was whether the game would be played yeah. that weekend. And, and nobody and knew. No one knew. And, and, and you know, it was... The uncertainty was one of the things I remember. I remember watching Greg Williams trying to hold a press conference. I mean, the guy's been the coach for like six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he now he's, you know, the guy who is the face of this team in, in, in the aftermath of this tragedy. He doesn't know if he's going to have a game to play. He, you know, I don't know if he knew how to deal with it with players. Um, and, and all of us, I remember also being up there and watching Greg Williams talk and thinking, I want to watch TV. I want what's going on yeah, with, yep. with what happened yesterday. Right. You know, what, what's the update? Because, uh, you know, after 9-11 happened, it was television. Yeah. He, everybody was glued yeah. for hours. Mm -hmm. And that went into Wednesday when we're up at, right. in the morning yeah. talking to Buffalo at, uh, at One Bills Drive. So September 23rd is that game in Indianapolis. Dave, was there any discussion between you, John Kutchko, the station, about whether or not we should travel to this game and cover it in Indianapolis? I think once they decided to have the game, we were going regardless. We drove. We ended up driving to Indy instead of flying. And like that's we, a drive. Like, it yeah. was a drive, yeah. and, but it was, you know, in hindsight, probably one of the safest times you ever could have flown. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 number one, nobody was flying still yeah. for the most part, and security at the airports was off the charts. Mm -hmm. so, but we decided to be, discretion was the better part of Valor, and we drove there, and uh, it was it was still odd to be back in there. I was just looking at some of the video today and looking at, you know, Greg Williams signing autographs along the along the sideline for fans beforehand. It was like, it was just... Looking at it now, it's it's almost hard to remember that it was so close to something like that happening. That it was just okay. Now we're we're gonna get back to normal or as normal as we can. Something that we look at now is like you know Pearl Harbor, you know yeah. D Day, like yep. major historical events. You know, and I worked the the next game, the home game, and the thing that always struck me from post 9/11 was 
when you grew up as a child of the 80s, you're used to seeing Lebanon and Beirut and, and mm -hmm. video like that. That was merely like the first televised wartime era. And, you know, you got used to seeing weapons and, you know, all kinds of bombs and machine guns on TV. Well, this was the first time I was actually as close as we are now yeah. to a giant machine gun. And it just, it unnerved me to yeah. think, I'm going to cover a football game, and here is the largest piece of ammunition I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. in my life, yeah. you know, from someone who's going to pat yeah. me down to make sure that me yeah. and the other You start thinking, people, like, wait a minute, am I safe? Exactly. Like, or, 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 like, wait a minute, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not in danger. Like, yeah. I haven't done anything. You, I know? Start, you, you start going on the field, and, and you're doing your normal thing, shooting games, and you're also thinking, well, all right, if there's a bomb explodes over there, what am I going to do? Am I going to roll yeah. on it? Am I going to oh, get out of there? And, you know? the, yeah. and, and that's the end. You always yeah. had the dogs going around sniffing, yeah. and, you know, your, your bags were back there, and the dogs were going around sniffing and everything. And I, I remember going into security in Indianapolis after that game. And, you know, it used to be the token just kind of like, okay, look inside, here you go, you're yeah. good. If you had a media pass, you're pretty much good to go. The lines were, you know, 30 yeah. long. And you're for the media. Away. For the media yeah. to get in. You didn't care. Nobody. It's like it, yeah. lines waiting was nothing. You're like, okay, whatever you got to do, just do it. Yeah. You did not care. Well, so the Bills dropped that game September 23rd, 2001 in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning throws for 421 yards. And here's a sign of things perhaps to come with the Greg Williams football team. And you can excuse the Bills for perhaps not having total focus leading up to this one. But in the, this game, the Bills are penalized 19 times. And you think about Greg Williams and obviously the, the history that you know about him yeah. later. And you just go, oh, like, <laughs> that's, that stands out, 19 penalties. Yeah, and that, you know, I, I, I still, penalties and coaching go hand in hand. I think if a team is really penalized, I think that's a direct reflection on the, on the coaching. You know, it's funny, talking about that game, towards the end of the game, Antoine Winfield had a, had a pick at the goal line, and he got up and spiked the ball like he just like scored a touchdown. <laughs> and then I went further back in the video and looked, he was getting lit up. <laughs> he was getting lit up like a Christmas tree that whole game. It was like, okay, no wonder that interception meant <laughs> so much. much yeah. <laughs> so the Bills lose week two, they lose week three, and week four. They go into the bye 0-4, their first 0-4 start since 1985. Mm. And as we look over the 2001 season, there are a lot of firsts that are not good firsts, and the first one since 84, 85, first in franchise history. So they get to the bye at 0-4, and at what point, you know, it's the, it's the start of the Greg Williams era, but at what point do you start thinking like, uh-oh, this might not be the right guy for this team that was 8-8 eight eight last year and a season removed from a playoff appearance? I don't know if you really start thinking. I, I don't remember I think thinking so about yeah. the coach like that. It was yeah. just, it, you were just kind of scratching your head like, what happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was a, it's tough to, I guess with everything else that was going on, it's tough to point a finger at a coach who was, you know, trying to hit the ground running and has so many different things popping up. Well, now, if I remember correctly, the Bills, the 98 Bills, started 0-3 and, and still made the playoffs? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So at, at that point, go ahead and check the Yeah, we, we can As we throw up. numbers around. Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember at 0-4 thinking disaster season over, even though I'm sure there were, yeah, 0-3 made the playoffs. 0-3 so. made the playoffs. So you, you're three years removed from that, you know, thinking, well, they, they could turn around. They just did it three years ago. Even at 0-4, and, and there wasn't the litany of analytics and numbers where people said, I mean, now a team goes 0-4, you'll find 15 Twitter feeds that'll tell you that team now has a 1.7% chance of making the right. playoffs, whatever it is. You didn't think any of that then. Even and, though in, in two of those first three games, the Bills scored six points and three points? Well, it didn't look good. I mean, <laughs> no one was, like, buying playoff tickets. But you weren't thinking 3-13, and 17-year drought was coming. It was just, okay, 0-4, not good. Let's yeah. see what happens. Especially they win the next game, yeah. too. So Yeah, so the Bills come out of the bye week. They go to Jacksonville on Thursday night. They win in Jacksonville. Week 7 is Johnson Flutie.
What was the lead-up like to that game, especially after the remarks that Ralph made back in April? Flutie had said in the offseason he finally feels that he's part of a team that's his team now. What was that game like in the lead-up and then, of course, the game itself? It was, it was everything we'd hoped for. I mean, it was, <laughs> you, could, you know, with, with a team that was, had gotten off to such a bad start and everything, you know, you needed something. You needed a hook, and it was perfect timing for The it. one negative thing about that is you look at like, the, the guys that stayed versus the guys that left. It was Wiley or Mould, it was Flutie or Johnson, and it was John Butler and, whoever, and Tom Dono. We got the three guys that wouldn't say anything. I mean, right, Rob Johnson, right. you know, I remember we all, everybody tried to stoke him all week long, and Rob just wasn't going to do it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't his way. But if it had been Flutie, Flutie would be oh, throwing, yeah. I mean, yeah. it would have been straight fire. <laughs> Same thing, Marcellus Wiley was one of the best guys to deal with the locker room, and he would have been loquacious and saying yeah, all kinds yeah. of things. Eric Mould, you know, great guy to talk to, yeah, but, but wasn't going to give that. He's you know? not going to be a bulletin so board guy. I don't remember the, the, I mean, we were all excited. Everybody talked about it all week, but I don't remember a lot of, you know, memorable quotes, no, you know, bulletin board material kind of stuff. And then, of course, in that the game. The game is great, though. Then yeah. the game is back and forth. Doug Flutie has the magic once yep. again. It's just, it's amazing how certain guys just always seem to hit the narrative at the exact perfect time. <laughs> We've seen this recently, Tim Tebow hitting home runs in single-A baseball, <laughs> even though he's striking out all over the place. But he hits a home run, and yeah, that makes the evening news. Here's Doug Flutie with a game-winning touchdown with a minute to go. And Dave, you were there in San Diego. You just must be looking at that field like, are you kidding me? Here yeah. we go again. And you could just see it coming. That's the thing. It was just, it was, you, you, look, it's, you know how it's like. You're sitting yeah. there, you're looking at the scoreboard, and you're looking at the situation, and you're like, this is going to come down to it. It's, it's really, <laughs> this has got a chance to happen, it doesn't. And you're like, okay. And, and you know, I was a Bill, I've been a Bills fan my whole life. So even, and I was a Flutie guy. So I was kind of yeah. like, all right. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, you get a little revenge. Yeah. So in week eight, the Bills uh, lose to the Colts. Their first blackout of the season. They drop to one and six in week nine. Tom Brady makes his first appearance uh, against the Buffalo Bills. And, of course, Brady wins that game as well, 21-11. But in that game, Rob Johnson sacked by Terrell Buckley. Johnson breaks his clavicle in that game. Uh, at that time, Williams said it was only going to be about a four- or five-week injury. He would be back. But then, of course, very soon after that, the news comes that Johnson is done for the year. At that time, is they're just thinking like, all right, pack things up, season's over. I mean, they're, they're one and seven at the, after this game is over, and now their starting quarterback is done. I can't imagine there have been any thoughts of anything positive moving forward. I think the concern then was more Rob Johnson. That, now now yeah. this guy, everyone kind of knew that Rob Johnson was the hope, not necessarily. He had had the one good game in Jacksonville, mm -hmm. the Bills bring him in, and when you compared him to Flutie, you knew Flutie could do some stuff, but there was a limit. With Johnson, there was the hope that, wow, he's got all the physical tools. If he figures everything else out, the intangibles out, this could be a Super Bowl you know, kind of quarterback. And now he's not playing well. Now he's hurt. So he, he can't, when he's on the field, he doesn't do much good. And he can't be on the field all the time either. This was looking like quarterback disaster. And I think at that point, everybody yeah, knew. I think so. And, and you look at the, the number of hits he took and some of the hits that he took oh, over yeah. the his time in Buffalo. It was only a matter of time. I mean, <laughs> and Dave, you know, we've, and Thad, you too, obviously, we've looked at these games, obviously, the last few weeks, and watching this football from the early 2000s, I'm struck by just how violent it is. I mean, we know football is an inherently violent game, yeah. but the hits that we see in this game, and, and not even get hits that knock guys out for the game, just like the, the quarterback hits, the wide receiver hits, the, like, you just... Because we have knowledge now, you watch and you go, ooh, I don't, I, I, I feel uncomfortable watching this. Was that I, I, I remember watching it at home, never really no, thinking of it much. But even covering the team, seeing these guys in the locker room after games, was there any thought that like, man, maybe, 
Maybe this is a little too violent. No, no, no. Exactly. And it's, yeah. fun, it's funny to go back and look at, you know, watching the games from, the, from that, those years and seeing when the quarterback would go into a slide, he'd still get popped. Mm. Yep. And he wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. It was just one of the, I think that I, I remember there was one game in Miami where somebody hit the quarterback after he slid, and there was a flag on that one, but that was late. Yeah. But it would have to it was be late, pretty though. late yeah. to get a The, the wide receiver ones were like well out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, the wide receivers getting lit up on a catch were the ones that blow me away. Yes. Just to see guys, and, and going up high at these receivers, to hits now that you know, I mean, these yeah. are this year would be yeah. ejectable hits. Yeah, exactly. And the other, the one other thing, back to Rob Johnson, and in terms of you know working the games and you know being here at News Eight then, um, when Flutie went to San Diego, a lot of people in Rochester oh, and Western New York wanted to watch Chargers games. So we were the CBS station. We were the ones that had some control over what games you'd watch, and we get people writing in. We wanted to see Chargers, and John Kutchko, give him credit, picked up on this early and was trying to request as many Chargers games as was reasonable. We actually got a, a crazy letter from someone, uh, John Neely, who lived in Warsaw at the time, maybe still there, calling us the tools of the devil, you know, uh, flutie freaks. I mean, he had all, because he was on the other side. Like, why are we watching this Chargers team? That went 1-15 the year before. But it, it was an interesting subtext, especially early in the year. I think the first time we did it, the station in Buffalo, WIVB, did not show the, the Chargers game, and they got all kinds of garbage from <laughs> Buffalo people who want why are the You can win. You yeah, can never yeah, win. Exactly. So that was That's one thing we've learned working in media. You can never please <laughs> to everyone. To be honest, in a three and thirteen season, that was probably the most interesting part of the year. Yeah, was no was the flutie reaction about him in San Diego. And the Chargers that year go five and eleven. Well, after the Rob Johnson injury where his season is done, the Bills host the Seattle Seahawks, a game that was blacked out, but notable because Jim Kelly's number is retired. Uh, his son Hunter is there. It's a, a very nice ceremony at halftime. Um, you know, we talked about this obviously with Thurman and how it really is true that the Super Bowl era is over. But seeing Kelly on the field, not that far removed from his playing days, I think five years at this point, were there any feelings that struck you just about like, man, that era really is over? It, that was, yeah, I mean, that was definitely the, the, the curtain for, for sure. Mm -hmm. the, all of a sudden, when you see the number, his number going up, it was, that was, I just remember, it was having his, his son there was oh, just, that absolutely. was, mm -hmm. that was absolutely, it, I, it's got chills thinking about yeah. it because it was just so moving. And, and that was, not looking back on it now, again, that was the thing that stuck out to me. Hunter on the field yeah. and, and the way, you know, Kelly and the family revered him, I mean, it's his son, I mean, yeah. not anything unusual, but. You know, having Crabbe's disease and, and being someone who's confined to a wheelchair his entire life, that was the beginning of Jim Kelly transitioning from football hero to community activist yeah, yeah. to, you know, um, an activist for, uh, you know, Hunter's Hope, that kind of stuff. And it was there because at that point he didn't, he wasn't a quarterback simply anymore. He was the father of a son that needs a whole lot of help and a man that wants to do that for so many other sons yeah. and daughters out there. And then when he's enshrined in the Hall of Fame, they you know, really push that to the top for him. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jim Kelly is just loved in yeah. Western New York and obviously with good reason. Week 11, the Bills lose again, this time to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, in, the, in the lead up to this game, Ralph buys all the tickets to remove the blackout for that game. So we've talked about, you know, perhaps is Ralph cheap? What, at what point does that narrative start forming? Well. Here's Ralph dropping a significant amount of money to make sure that everyone in Western New York can watch this game. And I know there had been talk of blackouts even during the Super Bowl era, but and I remember even from covering this team at the end of when blackouts were a reality in Western New York. But with, at at what point do you just kind of just like yeah, that's, this is just kind of how it is with this team? And 
even though they have passionate fans, even though people live and die with this team throughout thick and thin, blackouts are a reality and they're yeah. just a part of how it goes. Well, no one no one accepted them though. That was right. when that yeah. happened, yeah. that was Ralph avoiding a PR black eye. That's all it was. Yeah. Well think about it in the uh, the comeback game against Houston. That was blacked, that was blacked out. out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a playoff game. Yeah. Blacked out. Yeah. I, the, the idea of a blackout for a Bills home playoff game now, yeah, like, exactly. I can't it's really hard to comprehend. I think I think you know the Seattle game got blacked out but that was Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, Dolphins Miami. was yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. Could not allow that game. The, the optics of that were just too negative for Ralph the stomach. And in that game, Eric Moulds, 196 yards, career high, has uh, an incredible game in that one. But the Bills give up 17 points in the final five minutes of the game. And they're a 1-8 team going into this one. No one is expecting them to pull out some miracle. But to lose in that fashion, I mean... How do you, how as a media member, what is the thought when you're on the field and you're watching Miami get fumble returns, get yeah. touchdowns late, late field goals to pull off this incredible comeback? Remember when I was talking about you're looking at this scenario and the score and like, is this really going to happen? And you're sitting yep. there, this one, you're sitting there, is this really happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was crazy. So in week 10, the Bills go to San Francisco and lose 35 0. You know, we mentioned, we mentioned worse. This is that a was, low point. Yeah with this team. 35-0, first shutout in eight years. Worst shutout since 1971. 1-10 in 10 start, the worst start since 1984. I mean, how much more do you need to say about that one? Well, I think, <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, my highlights from that game consisted of pre-game warm-ups from Shane Graham, the kicker that yeah. they brought in earlier that week, and that, that was, was about the extent of Well, it. I took a peek at your video, and, and Alex Van Pelt walking off the field <laughs> after 35-0, and just you know, we're used to the Bills' thousand-yard stare off into space, so you're just wondering, like, is there anything going on right now? And at that point, you see Alex Van Pelt, and you just know that there's still five weeks left of the season, yeah. and oh, no. And Alex <laughs> like, Van Pelt then, too, was just run-of-the-mill bad backup. He wasn't yeah. the lovable doughboy right. he became the next couple <laughs> years. You know? The dough-gun <laughs> offense yeah, exactly, has been yeah. coined. Well, the Bills get in the win column once again in Week 13. They beat the Carolina Panthers. They, they too, also at the bottom of the NFL standings. In Week 14, Tom Brady's first game in Buffalo goes to overtime. No touchdowns scored in this game. A lot of people remember it uh, for Nate Clements laying out Tom Brady, but Brady leads a comeback in overtime. Uh, Adam Vinatieri with the game-winning field goal. This one also notable uh, it is uh, known, I guess, as the, the dead Patriot game, where in overtime, Keon Carpenter lays out David Patton. Patton looks concussed at this moment. The ball pops out, goes in between his legs, but his head is out of bounds yeah. in the white. Yes. So Belichick, again, the smartest guy in the stadium, <laughs> rightfully knows the playbook and the rule book uh, and calls that out, and the Bills uh, don't get the ball back off that fumble. Adam Vinatieri kicks the game-winning field goal in overtime. And, of course, you just go, yeah. it's Belichick. The first of many with him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Week, six, uh, week 15, the Bills go to Atlanta. They drop one of the Atlanta Falcons. Not really worth discussing, but in week 16, the Bills take on the New York Jets in the Meadowlands. Phil Hansen has his first career and only interception. The Bills win that game 14-9 to go 3-12. and And fellas, what are your memories from a late-season win in the Meadowlands against the Jets? That was my game. And I bet it was. I, I, I grew up a Jets fan, so and, and even, even now... You know, I, I tell people all the time, how, how, do you, how are you a Jets fan when you cover the Bills? I tell them, look, if the Jets go to the playoffs, I watch the playoffs on TV. The Bills go to the playoffs, I go to the playoffs. So I'm never, <laughs> I'm never unhappy with the Bills making the playoffs. 
But this game, the Bills were dead. They were two and whatever. Absolutely. The Jets were on their way to the playoffs and would have clinched a spot. So everybody from the New York, I remember listening to New York radio driving to the stadium, and everyone talked about this is going to be a party, there's going to be a celebration. And then the Bills just, you know, throttled the Jets. The Jets really just couldn't get out of their own way. Buffalo hit a couple touchdowns, the Jets scored nine points, and the Bills win the game. The thing that, that I remember now, as you and I talked about it, is the ramifications. It's of amazing. That game. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> let, let me just go through this right here on this, uh, on this legal pad. So, had the Bills lost this game in week 16 of 2001, the Jets would have been 10 and 5, 6 and 2 in the AFC East. The Jets would then go on to beat the Raiders in week 17. This they, actually they anyway. yeah. this mm -hmm. happened in real life. So, had well, so. the Jets won in week 16, they'd be 11 and 5. Right. So, you'd have the Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots all 11 and 5. The first tiebreaker for three teams in the same division with the same record is head to head. Well, the Jets went 3 and 1 against the other two teams. They would have been the AFC East champs and gotten a wild card bye. So the 2 seed would be the Jets, the Pats become the 4 seed, the Dolphins become the 5 seed. Just keep following the me Pats on this. did have in the real history the yeah. Pats had the bye. They were the, the two The Pats seed. were the real AFC East champions. Right. So the wild card round would have been Baltimore and Oakland and Miami in New England. Had the seeds held, Oakland would have gone to the Jets, New England would have gone to Pittsburgh. Folks, the tuck rule doesn't happen. <laughs> that game never happens because the Patriots would have had to go to Pittsburgh where there was no snow, yeah. no snow that day. Just imagine, had the Bills not won a week 16 game in 2001, the tuck rule game never happens and perhaps the Patriots don't win a Super Bowl, and who knows wow. what comes after that. <laughs> I love so we talked games. about mind explosions. <laughs> yeah. There's one for Bills fans that, I, that really needs to be discussed way more. So Bills. even when the Bills win, they're not doing anything. Exactly. They're Nothing themselves. is going yeah. right for this team. The Bills won, helped build the beginning of the Patriots dynasty. A major Unbelievable. piece. Unbelievable. Yeah. Just... Yeah. <laughs> Week 17, the Bills go to Miami, they lose. Really not all that important, but the day after that game, Phil Hansen retires. And I know, uh, Dave, you had a relationship with Phil Hansen in the locker room. Your experience is like talking back and forth with him. He was just phenomenal. He was just a class actor. You know, we talked mm -hmm. about him being one of the go-to guys and things like that. And I remember we knew he was retiring um, going into the game. There wasn't any great surprise about it. It just became official the day after. So just seeing him interacting with guys on the, you know, it's one of those, it's one of the really cool things about what we get to do is getting, you know, not just to be able to see that kind of stuff on the sideline when they're, you know, he's basically saying goodbye to these guys for the last time on the field and, and, and being on the field for the last time. It really, it's, it's to see guys like that kind of, you know, this, I don't want to say the softer side, but it really yeah. was, you know, yeah. you see a yeah. side of them you don't usually get the to see. The human side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, you see how much it really means to them. Mm -hmm. And everybody that they've been on their team with means to them. It really, it was good stuff. From a media point of view, Phil Hansen was kind of a cross between Eric Wood and Kyle Williams. He yeah. was the pulse of the team. He was the guy you went to regardless of the situation. And he was always the guy willing to talk to. I don't think he ever maybe occasionally said no. Very he rare. Would, he yeah. was very good with the media and in a lot of tough spots, especially towards the end there. So the Bills wrap up the season 3-13. and 13. I, I know it was 16 years ago, but uh, just any reflections on that season immediately after and thinking, okay, where are we now with this team? It's January of 2002, coming off their worst year in over 15 years. If I'm not mistaken, I think when Greg Williams came in, he talked about how he was going to make the defense 
better. And if I'm not mistaken, the Bills' defense was bad. <laughs> the year before was one of the top units yeah. in the league, yeah. if not the top unit in a lot of categories in the league. Mm-hmm. And we were all looking at each other like, okay, how exactly did you? Yeah, do if it ain't broke, mm-hmm. don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And they just bottomed out. So you're kind of like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And that, you really st- at the end of the season, you're kind of like. He put out this air of just being, you know. This defensive of, guru. Yeah, and it just didn't come to fruition. Bills, uh, Bills allowed the 29th most points, the third, third or fourth worst. Well, at that time, there were 31 teams, so yeah. second worst uh, in the NFL, 420 on, points. On top of that, there's a big question of quarterback, too, because now yep. Rob Johnson yep. is hardly a guarantee. But, again, I don't remember thinking of that in that season, we've got disaster, long-term rebuild no, coming up. It no. was just one bad year, and they can still fix it. Well, in the immediate aftermath uh, of that 3-13 and 13 season, uh, there is a new team coming in to the NFL. We mentioned that there were 31 teams, so the Houston Texans began in 2002. And the expansion draft uh, would be coming up in that offseason, and every team had to nominate players that could be selected by the Houston Texans. You mentioned Rob Johnson. He's on that list. Uh, at that time, was there any thought of, like, what are we doing with the quarterback, especially because Johnson didn't play the second half of the season? He was not the answer. I, mean, people, yeah. I think people kind of realized that this was not going to work out. I don't remember much angst about that, other than if Rob Johnson goes, who do they Where have left? Right, yeah, exactly. Right. But other than that, no one, no one was beating down the door to keep Rob Johnson in Buffalo. Yeah, well. well, a new quarterback will be coming in in 2002. <laughs> we'll turn to that in a moment. But first off, if you enjoyed these Down and Drought uh, episodes, podcasts, leave a review. If you tell two friends, and then they tell two friends, and then they t- then all of a sudden we get some actual some real viewers here. We've got uh, friends. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna lead the charge on this one. But, uh, fellas, thanks again so much. And uh, for the next episode, we turn to 2002.